It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Seven minutes after the hour, hour number two of Green and Growing. Happy to be here this morning with Clint Waltz, turfgrass specialist from the University of Georgia. I had questions ahead of time for you, and we're even getting more today. So are you ready? Absolutely. Hopefully you're a lot That's why we're sharper here. than me this morning. Um, yeah, we've got some people hanging on the line. 404-872-0750. Up first, we say good morning to Richard calling from Marietta. Hey there, Richard. Good morning. How are you? Great. What's going on? I got a quick couple of questions for you. I missed your segment last week on snakes. Do snakes have a smell? Can they smell? I don't remember if Trent Ellis, who is with Armor Wildlife Management, answered that or not. He did focus more on their their senses as far as feeling, feeling the vibrations of something, knowing there's a predator nearby, but he didn't really mention the scent. Okay. And also, do you have a way to prevent the snakes from coming in the yard? I've trimmed all my ivy down short, but I've got a lot of pine trees. Um, You're doing right by removing some areas that they would like to nest in, any tall grasses, any debris piles, if you've got lumber or things, even a lot of garden tools piled close to the house, anything that they're going to be able to be A, shaded, and B, protected from predators. When you eliminate all of that, you really eliminate the spots that are attractive to them. Um, So aside from that, I think you'd be okay. Pine trees, I've not heard one way or the other. I would think on food source, so as Mm -hmm. long as you don't have mice and voles or moles or things like that and doing rid of, getting rid of some of that that would probably snakes got to eat so <laughs> if, if you can get rid of the food source that's what i've always understood if, if you can do that and snakes to my knowledge don't eat grass so oh, well, well I, I was just curious now does do the products like they snake prevention do they work because I, I i throw mothballs all around and i was wondering if there's something better than mothballs So um, from the University of Georgia Extension and the extensive research they've done on that, their recommendation is actually to not put mothballs outside because of the toxicity and the risk of it actually targeting the wrong pest, be it, you know, a pet or a child that picks it up. So it's not really recommended to put mothballs outside. And plus, you're kind of throwing you know, throwing them out just to hope that a snake is going to be nearby when really you may be wasting your efforts there. Um, Clint, as far as any snake deterrence or repellents and the relationship with the grass, there's not going to be any. Not to my knowledge, no. Uh, I've, I've been on programs with one of our wildlife specialists, Dr. Mike Mingak, and um, when I've heard him speak about these things, see, I get to learn on these things too yeah. whenever I'm on the programs. Um Folks look at these as kind of supposed to be irritants or deterrents, and from what I understand on those, none of these have ever really shown to be true deterrents or Mm -hmm. irritants on these things. So putting most of these commercial products out, they make you feel good, but I don't know that there's been any proven work that they actually work. Yeah, I mean, because A, you have to make sure that the pest that you're targeting is actually coming to that area, and snakes, you don't know. You don't know where they're going to be and where they're going to choose to be. Um, and even if the repellents did work, Richard, it would just be for a very limited time because they're all um, going to be washed away with any kind of rain or anything like that. So thanks for the call, though. That was that was thoughtful. Yeah, eliminating their food source in a place that they would want to bed down in. You should be good. Uh, Daryl out in Conyers calling from Rockdale County is up next. Hey, Daryl, good morning. Hey, good morning to you. I enjoy your show. Thank you. 
I have a uh, Bermuda lawn, but I have a lot of fescue that I came from where I, I don't know. But uh, And I've tried to get rid of it, but uh, I've not been real successful. And I was wondering if that seems to grow taller and faster than the Bermuda. Can I just overseed with that, and will that take over the Bermuda and make it look like I have one type of grass? A uh, short answer to that is no. <laughs> Sad, <laughs> sadly, it's not that easy. That makes um, me so sad. <laughs> your observations are spot on. The tall fescue will grow faster and over the top of the breed, especially this time of year and in the late fall of the year. But the two of them can kind of coexist, and, and I affectionately refer to those as my fescuta lawns out there. <laughs> fescuta. <laughs> um, on those. And uh, they have different management, and, and the cool season grass can maintain some green color, but it's going to thin out in in the summertime i can't take the bermuda grass easily i can't take the bermuda grass out of the tall fescue um there are a couple of herbicides that you use but you've got to be diligent with them and patient uh it's easier to take the tall fescue out of the bermuda grass so if you look at the herbicide certainty active ingredient in that is sulfur sulfuron but certainty two applications one may be enough but two applications of sulfur sulfuron or certainty uh, you can actually selectively take the tall fescue out of the Bermuda grass and get you to the point where you've got one consistent turf species, and that's the easiest um, direction to go. So can I just spray that generally over the fescue, and yeah. will that not kill the Bermuda, but it will affect the fescue? That's correct. That's that's where its selectivity comes in, is that it's selective towards. Oh, nice. uh, and it, it'll pick up some other grasses out there, too, uh, so things like annual bluegrass or poa annua. Um, it'll It'll kill that. And it's got a little bit of a broadleaf weed spectrum, so it'll pick up some broadleaf weeds. Not all of them, but it'll pick up some of them as well. So certainty is – and and the other one to, that that gets is certainty is excellent on nut sedges. Oh, good. Um, okay, great. And, Daryl, something else you may want to consider when you're kind of taking a step back and looking at your landscape too. If the fescue looks like it's growing in really well and it's hardy and it's lush, it's got the right conditions that it actually likes the amount of sunlight there and all of that. And if the Bermuda struggles – it may be because that area is not getting as much sun as the Bermuda would like. It's possible. So that's something to consider, too. And if we need to keep, well, I know you don't want to keep the Bermuda, but that's kind of what Clint is saying. That is going to be the dominant grass if it's already there, making conditions a little more conducive to that Bermuda so that it will grow lush and strong like you're seeing the fescue. You can make that Bermuda really attractive as long as it's getting the sun that it wants. And Clint, how many hours a day? Generally, we say eight hours At during least. a growing season. Oh, I've got plenty of sun. That's okay. not, not a problem. So, you got plenty of sun. Yeah. You, you select towards the Bermuda grass. Mm-hmm. So it'll be much easier um, on, on you to maintain. Okay, great. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. And so certainty and just spray it liberally over the fescue? No. And, no you need to, to oh. follow the label. Labels, label's the law. So follow the label on that one. Um, and you will... if. You won't find that at Home Depot or Lowe's. That won't be in any of your big box reels. So you'll need to go to one of your landscape supply stores. Don't be don't get sticker shocked. It's it's going to be a little bit because it is a commercial product. So it's it's going to be a little more expensive. Uh, but it doesn't take much. And all you need to do is just kind of mist over the top of the. If you're going to spot spray, you just kind of mist over the top of them. Let the herbicide do the work. Uh, it's not a situation where you spray it till wet and you drown the weed. Uh, so it's not a matter of, you know, we don't, we're not going to shoot it and then stab it um, <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, all you need to do is let the herbicide do the work. So just spray over it, but read and follow the label and mix it up accordingly. And is now the time to do that? Now would be a fine time to do that. Thank you so much for what you guys do. We appreciate you. 
Thank you, Daryl. Great questions. Really thoughtful questions, too. Very good. I mean, like we said, Bermuda is just a blessing and a curse because it grows so well. Um, And it spreads by stolons above ground, so it can creep out further and further, fill in bare spots. But the downside to that is, too, it's just going to always be there. It's very hard to remove the root system from the ground. It's really hard. That's right. Um, Let me ask you something about, actually, you know what? I'm going all over the place. Trent Ellis, good morning, with uh, Armor Wildlife Management, was listening in on Richard's question about the snakes. And he said, snakes do have a smell gland called Jacob's organ. And their tongue flipping, uh, when they flick their tongue, that helps with that. So they do. Thank you, Trent. I'm glad you were listening because I didn't know the answer to that. Um, So talking about fescue germination, Clint, um, generally it seems late February, early March is a good time to overseed fescue lawns simply for not establishment really, but filling in bare spots, strengthening it up a little bit. Fall is the prime time that we really want to get a new lawn going. But for anybody that was overseeding in late February, early March, uh, what do soil temperatures need to be at for that fescue to germinate? And then are we getting a little late for doing that if we haven't done it yet? Uh, For tall fescue, it's actually a fairly broad range. Uh, We can see tall fescue germinating with soil temperatures, surface soil temperatures down to around 50, 55 degrees, uh, all the way up to, say, 70 or 75. The big difference in those temperatures, as you'll see, is the rate of germination. So... um, if soil temperatures or surface soil temperatures are somewhere in that, say, 65, 70, 75 degree range, you may get germination at tall fescue in three to five days. Uh, those cooler temperatures, it may be more of a 10 to 14 day type of, of period for it to germinate. So it will germinate with those temperatures are there. And where we are, uh, germination should be somewhere kind of right now should be kind of in that in that middle. I would guess that we would wind up getting germination in a five to seven or five to 10 day period if you germinate now or seeded now. It is kind of heading towards the, the tail end of the optimum time to be seeding tall fescue. And the reason for that is you're going to seed it, it's going to germinate, and we're not going to develop an awful lot of root system before we start moving into uh, stress periods of, say, May and June. So it's not going to develop a whole lot of a root system. And that's why fall is a better time is that we get two really good growing periods, the fall of the year and then the spring of the year, before we get into this first stress period, which would be, again, late May or June, and then July and August on it. And you're listening thinking, why do I care about the soil temperature? And again, we've kind of talked about that relationship this morning. The air temperature is what it is. The soil temperature is independent of that. Granted, one influences the other for sure, but it's going to take a lot more to change that soil temperature. It's so dense. Um, it's going to take a lot of really prolonged periods of cold to really get the temperature for the soil to go- start going down. And like you said, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. We started going up. We are going down a little bit, but we'll trend back up because it's spring and that's what it does. Um, but I told a listener previously who was asking that question about fescue germination to check out the website georgiaweather.net. That is through the University of Georgia, the College of Ag. Georgiaweather.net has so much good stuff on it, not only the average First frost date, last frost date, air temperature, humidity, but soil temperature is there too under the calculator. And you can see it at a two-inch depth, which you would care more about, like you said, Clint, for seeds that are germinating because they're in that top two inches of soil. Four-inch depth because you think that's where the grass roots are. Eight-inch depth, that's not really applicable to turf grasses as much. Not really. Yeah, uh, we, most of our deep. most of our roots are in the upper four inches now. Many of our grasses will put roots down uh, as deep as eight and deep, uh, eight inches and deeper, but the majority of the root systems up in the upper four. And 
uh, is, as you mentioned, that four inch is a nice buffer in there that we've kind of, everyone else, everyone now is familiar with the term flattening the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the closer you are to the soil surface, the more it's going to resemble ambient air. So those, those swings from high to low are much greater. And the deeper you go, you start to flatten that curve. So having a, a true trend of what's going on in the soil, the deeper we go, um, is going to flatten that curve and you just don't see those extremes like what we've experienced say in the last two weeks Mm -hmm. where we've been what 70 degrees almost 80 and now here today the high is supposed to be what 50 51 yeah so um you know closer you are that those swings are there so the four inch kind of moderates that a little bit as well as that's where the roots are for established turf so the four inch soil temperature in georgiaweather.net um is is an excellent place to be monitoring find the weather station closest to you Mm -hmm. we've got 80 or 90 weather stations statewide that that are on these and um so find the one closest to you and start tracking your own soil temperatures i think it's really interesting that'll help you not only with grass seed and knowing what to do when but also vegetable gardening all of those kinds of things it's really good information for you to know Uh, a few questions about zoysia lawn when we come back stay tuned you're listening to green and growing i've got clint waltz with me this morning you're listening to wsb did you know you could listen to Green and Growing, Atlantis Morning News, and all your favorite shows on your smart speaker? Tell it to play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Here's Ashley. The update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing, a high of only 51 for most of us today, wind gusts 15 to 25 miles an hour, and tomorrow, mostly sunny, High of 46. So, Clint, I have yet another question for you. This one comes from Vince on Facebook. Uh, plans to top dress his year-old Zoysia Sod, a company that specializes in top dressing. Scheduled to have it done the first week of April. Is that too early in the season? Because right now, he said, the Zoysia is looking at about, it's 25% greened up. 25% green up whenever he, he contacted you. But after Wednesday and Thursday this week, my guess is it's back pretty brown again. So it's going to slow it. It's going to slow it up. But uh, to answer his question directly, uh, if he's going to have it top dressed, uh, and we have several landscapers out there that, that market that that service, and we can talk about what top dressing is uh, either this segment or another. But April's not too early. Uh, that, that'll be fine. And the reason we would top dress a over the top of something like especially a year old zoysia grass would be to help fill in sod seams and and even that lawn up a little bit and and uh smooth it up some and that kind of thing as as well as that helps dilute some of the thatch and help break down some of that organic especially with what zoysia because zoysia is, is a higher it'll produce more leaf matter and and uh more thatch potential for thatch than most of our other warm season grasses so that that top dressing will help with some of that and uh help that yard come in this year. Now, his the zoysia sod that he has down is only about a year old. Um, what's the ratio to it producing thatch and all of that when it's newer versus a really old established zoysia? Well, for us here in the southeast, you know, we have a long growing season. So warm temperatures, high humidity, long growing season. If properly managed, so good irrigation, proper fertility, not over-fertilizing, we don't produce an awful lot of thatch. Um, and most of our ones, the zoysia grass is one that can and doesn't break down quite as readily. The soil microbes don't break it down as well. So it can, but a year old sod shouldn't have an awful lot of thatch That's to it um, on it. Now you fast forward four, five, six, ten years, and if it's mismanaged, being overwatered and, and over fertilized, we can wind up getting a good bit of thatch buildup on it.
So when we come back, I want to ask about top dressing, what it is, why you need to do it. And when you're looking at your lawn, how to identify, well, do I have thatch or do I need to have it top dressed? Things that you'll want to spot as a homeowner. When we come back, still here with Clint Waltz for the rest of the morning here until nine o'clock on Green and Growing. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Still 36 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. Good morning. You're listening to Green and Growing. Glad you're here. And you know, Clint and I were talking off the air, and that was really something for me to think about. I assume all of you are listening from Metro Atlanta, generally the Metro Atlanta area. Now, I know with the app, Right. You mentioned people could be listening. Anthony listens in Long Island. So people outside of zones 7B, 8A, um, you know, take what we say, the topics we're talking about. But it's going to be really hard to give you advice on your lawn if you live in South Georgia. It, I, it is, but, you know. Well, that's, for, that's, not for you, but for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For me. And, and majority of your audience, that's probably true. But uh, yeah. you know, the app does open things up for you, which is a good it really thing. It does, yeah. But it, it the caution should be there if you're if you're listening outside of the metro Atlanta area that, that you probably need to find some nuances. C- call your county agent. Yes. Get in touch with your county agent and, and then fine-tune it for where you are if you're outside of uh, the metro area. Yeah, the University of Georgia Extension is a wonderful program free to you to get advice from master gardeners, from the county extension agent. You call 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. You have to know the county where you live. You have to tell them that. They're going to put you in touch with your local county agent and local county office that you can walk into and bring a sample of a plant. Bring something that looks diseased, a picture of your turf. Soil samples. Oh, yeah. that's the. I, I should have said that first. If, <laughs> if master gardener class taught me nothing else, soil tests, soil tests. Very, very important to then establish everything else in your landscape. So that's free advice from experts who've been through training and schooling and all of that kind of thing. So very well said. But again, the reason I said, you know, the advice we give is for people in metro area because somebody asked about, um, is it too early to do something with centipede, right? To put out centipede grass seed. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you thought was, well, are they in this area? And I was like, oh, good question. I don't know. So in Metro Atlanta, a little too early. It's early, yes. But maybe in South Georgia? If you're in Valdosta, you can probably get away with it right now. Yeah. So see, uh, really got to pay attention to soil temperature, air temperature. Sure. All right. So talking about different kinds of grasses, if you have those questions and questions about weeds, now is the time to call and get them in with Clint. Um, Had one, I think it was from Becky, and she's checking in this morning about zoysia grass, St. Augustine, mixed in a fairly large strip. The zoysia appears to be winning, so killing the now dormant zoysia is starting to green up a little bit, but generally the dormant zoysia, but keeping the St. Augustine. So again, we have these battles. One, you know, a homeowner wants one grass over the other, preferring St. Augustine over zoysia. Who wins? Uh, with time, and I guess, again, if we come back and think about here in the metro Atlanta, if we kind of put it in with that one, with time, it's going to be the zoysia grass. Uh, on it we have an adage in turf change your management change your grass so um, one simple way of kind of, of of trying to move from one species to the other is is make sure your management practices whether it's fertility whether it's mowing um, 
is favorable for one species. It, it generally won't get it 100%, but you can certainly shift towards one direction. So taking St. Augustine grass or, or taking zoysia grass out of St. Augustine grass is, is a challenge. Does zoysia have a really fast root system like Bermuda, like we were talking earlier? Well, the thing you got to remember now, zoysia grass has rhizomes and stolons. So we have those below ground and above ground stems, whereas St. Augustine grass is purely stoloniferous. So it's purely just those above ground stems and has no below ground. So it's at a competitive disadvantage right there just from the number of growing points that it has and where they're located uh, on it, as well as here in the metro area, Zoysia grasses could be more tolerant of cold temperatures, whereas the St. Augustine grasses could be less. So from an environmental or climatic standpoint, St. Augustine grass is at a disadvantage as well um, on it. And while both of them get some disease issues, St. Augustine grass is, I would say, more impacted by disease than, than zoysia grass. So if it gets sick, it's slower to recover, and that zoysia grass is going to kind of move along a little bit quicker in it, uh, on it. So if it were me, I'd probably head more towards the zoysia grass uh, than the St. Augustine. And from a management standpoint, get the mowing height down. Zoysia grass can take an inch, inch and a half mowing height, and that's where we typically try to recommend home lawns for zoysias to be inch, inch and a half. You mow it to an inch, inch and a half tall. Correct. Uh, on it, whereas St. Augustine grass needs to be up to say two and a half to three. So that management technique right there puts, again, St. Augustine at a disadvantage and a zoysia grass at an advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, St. Augustine grass likes to be fed. So it probably needs somewhere around four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square foot per year. Zoysia really needs about two. So we get, we over fertilize zoysia grass, we can see some loss in it. It, uh, So Get that fertility down, get the mowing height down, and you put the advantage towards the zoysia grass. And over the course of, say, two, three, four years, you'll see the zoysia grass be the predominant species in that mixed species lawn. And it may become what you prefer. If it's managed right and is growing in the right conditions, it's going to be really pretty. It's going to be really healthy for you. And then you go, oh, I don't miss that St. Augustine. And that was going to be a lot more money to take care of anyways. Yep. And, and if you're really aggressive and want to get rid of it, there's a few things on the herbicide side where I can take the St. Augustine grass out of the zoysia, but I can't take zoysia out of I don't have any selective herbicides. So a, a herbicide that is selective towards one species or one group of plants, I don't have anything that's selective against the zoysia grass that would wind up being safe on the St. Augustine. Wow. It's, it's always a battle. It's really tough, for it, sure. Mixed, mixed stands can, can be a little bit of, of a challenge. Well, and, and I want to go back to talking about top dressing and why do it and what it is exactly for your lawns if you need to have yours top dressed because of Vince's question. Um, but in, in keeping with this theme of maybe one grass was there, I tried to install another one. Now they're battling it out. Um, is it up to me as the homeowner to go ahead and clear that out before a sod installer or a landscaper comes in? Or is that part of their job in installing a new grass for me? Are they responsible for trying to kill off the existing? That's a difficult question. Um, that's that's one that I guess you need to take that up with your, your landscape contractor. And, and if that's part of it, and, and you might find it's worth them to do it uh, than, than you. Um, maybe you make the first application of, of Roundup or glyphosate-containing product, and then after that they may be they come in and, and are a little more aggressive at cutting it out and trying to remove as much of, of the old lawn as possible, not tilling it in, especially if it's Bermuda grass or zoysia grass. 
Because if you till it in, you're tilling in all those rhizomes and, and stolons, and you think you've got them killed, you don't. You just mix them up in the soil. That's right. Yeah. You just put more plants out there to eventually kind of re- recover, rebound, and, and grow back out uh, on those. So you want to cut that off and remove it as much as you can, removing existing vegetation before tilling uh, the soil. Well, if someone has maybe a year lead time on a big project like that of just completely rehabbing or redoing a lawn, you and I had talked about, and I've asked you questions in the past about solarization, mm-hmm. where if you don't want to use any chemicals, but you have a longer period of time that you're able to firmly, almost with a little more certainty, kill off what you don't want, talk about how that can be done productively in the summertime, but then you may have to wait to install a new grass Right, the timing. Um, again, Bermuda grass and zoysia grass that have below-ground rhizomes, that solarization, you're going to have some effect, oh. but it it won't be permanent. Really? Shoot. No, no. <laughs> Darn it. Those below-ground rhizomes, if you have a healthy lawn and those rhizomes are down, and, and they can be down as much as, say, three-quarters of an inch, inch and a half, um, you're just not going to – I haven't seen where solarization just heats up the soil that deep. You know, And, again, as you were mentioning earlier, that, that insulating effect that soil has, um, it, it's, it takes a lot of energy – especially the deeper you go uh, to bring it up. So getting it hot enough to kill those rhizomes and stolons down at an inch, inch and a half, two inches deep. Um, For Bermuda grass and zoysia grass, it can set it back. You can do that for a year, put your new grass in. But I'd say somewhere in the next three to five years, you'll start seeing the pre-existing grass starting to poke its head through. It'll find its way up and through uh, eventually, and, and you're back with it. So... If you're interested in playing the game and all you got to do is get it looking good to sell the house and move out of it and let it be somebody else's problem, knock yeah. yourself out. Yeah. But, um, reality, reality is, 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 is you're just delaying the inevitable. So scratch that. Solarization may work better for just weed patches or fescue, but you can call us later if you want to t- talk more about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so top dressing. Top dressing, uh, what lawns need it and what it involves and why is it beneficial to my lawn? Well, we'll start with the beginning. Top dressing is an application of sand, um, uh, um, and it sometimes can contain sand and some organic matter. Um, I'm having folks asking here lately, and I'm, I'm about to really muddy the water, but I've had a number of questions lately about biochar and adding that back into sand and, and that type of thing. But an organic material in can sometimes help, but generally it's just sand. And that's that's to help on established lawns, top dressing, smooth it up. That sand will work down to the thatch and creates a conducive environment for soil microbes to break down some of that organic matter and, and leaf and that kind of thing from, from the lawn as well. And uh, keep your thatch under control. And again, I know I'm opening up another term there of thatch, and that's this undecomposed plant material. Yeah, that the if you plant look in between the blades, yep. and there's just kind of a matted surface yep. there at the base of the blades, that's thatch. That's thatch. And a little bit of that is tolerable. A little bit's good, especially on uh, athletic fields. That kind of acts as a nice little natural shock absorber uh, out there. So anywhere from a half, three quarters, maybe as much of an inch is fine. You don't want to get much more than that because thatch can actually prevent water from moving in. It's organic. So we get those times of year where it dries out, it becomes hydrophobic or doesn't allow water to penetrate. So even the irrigation or light rainfalls under a thatchy condition, that water is going to kind of run off and not move its way into the root system. So you can make a drought situation worse if you've got a thatchy issue. As well as it harbors disease, it holds if it gets wet, it stays wet, and it holds and harbors um, uh, wet conditions for disease and insects as well. So 
managing your thatch. But as I said earlier, we're in a in climate where we really don't get a lot of that here okay. with most of our grasses. Zoysia grass will have some. So the top dressing can help improve the environment there around it for microbial breakdown, smooth up the lawn so that you have a better quality of cut. Um, and that sand can also help with water infiltration and penetration into and through the through the canopy and, and move that water into the soil, help move that water into the soil that gets eventually down to the root system. So that infiltration part of it is, is a benefit to, to top dressing as well. So since that sand is, I would say sprinkled, but I think a little bit heavier application than that, but since that sand is spread over the top of the lawn down to the base of the um, the blades of grass, it's not mixed in the soil. Let's not confuse no, folks. We don't no, absolutely. do that. That's, that's a great point, Ashley. Um, we don't want to take a mixed sand into, uh, especially for the Piedmont of Georgia where we've got more clay soils, we don't want to mix that sand in prior to establishment. Uh, you take mixed sand with clay and you let it dry out, that's that's how you make a brick. Yeah. You know, literally make a brick. Yeah. So we don't want to, to add sand into native soils. But in the case of top dressing, we're adding that into an existing canopy such that it's moving its way, and that's the key. It has to get down into the canopy. Um, I've seen some lawns, they've top dressed on a slope, and they've run irrigation or rainfall, and then all of a sudden down at the toe of the slope, all that sand oh, moves down. No. And what's happened there is they've top dressed too heavy. Okay. And... Uh, and that water's been able to, to, to move that sand down, uh, whereas if we top dress lightly a couple of three or four times, that sand kind of work its way down in, the grass locks it in, and uh, it, it stays in place and benefits you as, it's, as it should. And how often is it beneficial, real quick, uh, to top dress? Is that something that should be done every year or maybe not that often? Probably not. No. Newer lawns, maybe so, especially if it's something other where we're trying to smooth them up reduce some bird baths um, or sod seams, trying to fill in sod seams and get the grass to fill in from those, uh, that kind of thing. Okay, great. All right, well, more of your questions coming through when we return to Green and Growing. Stay tuned and call 404-872-0750. We'll be right back. The WSB News and Traffic Teams will keep you updated all weekend here on 95.5 WSB. Listen first thing Monday at 5 a.m. for those important news, weather, and traffic updates. Now back to Ashley Fresca and Green and Growing. Good morning to all of you checking in on the Facebook page. Got Becky and Vince listening, Anne Marie's listening as well, and Dana. Good morning. So glad you have found me on Facebook, Green and Growing WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. You want to know how to dress today? You're going to need to dress warm. High only around 50 degrees. It's going to be breezy too with wind gusts 15 to 25 miles an hour. Even colder tomorrow, but sunny. Highs in the mid-40s. Clint, I don't like it. No, I don't either. I'm... (laughs) I'm ready for summer. Yeah, same. I, well, we had a tease, yeah. so I got used to that. And now, yeah, it's just not not great. Welcome to Georgia. 404-872-0750. Up next, we'll talk to Jordan calling from Dallas. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you all for being on this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've got a great question for Clint. Well, I do. I wanted to ask real quick, just in terms of top dressing, what, what, what he's not recommending at all is going to a big box store and just find some playground sand and put it out myself, right? Surely not. Um Thing with playground sand is that's generally a, a fairly uniform particle size, and uh, that's one certainly you'll see will move because it's a uniform particle size. It doesn't lock in on itself. So do you want t- it to or you don't want it to? Generally, you do. Okay, uh, you want a little bit of of, of um, diversity within your particle sizes, such that. And my analogy on that one is if if I had a five gallon bucket full of just good old BBs, you know, you can take your hand and work your way down through it, and all those BBs are the same size, right? 
So if I take that same bucket and I fill it up with some softballs, fill it up with some golf balls, and I fill it up with some BBs, different sizes, I can't do that. The BBs, the golf balls, and the softballs all kind of lock in at each other, and they help hold it in. So if you're after a top dressing, you don't want to play sand. Like in those, those uniform particle size, it's going to move. It's not going to stay in that thatch, especially if you got a little bit of slope and that type of thing on it. Um, so you, the, the common product around here, because we see it, is, is what's referred to as dirty river sand or river sand. And so you have some coarse texture stuff, you have some medium texture stuff, and you have some fine textured sand in it, okay. uh, particles. So it, the combination of those will, will is really better for it than just a uniform play sand. All right. Good thinking, Jordan. And what else okay, did okay. you have for Clint? So I did want to ask, I think I probably didn't put out um, enough pre-emerging. I've got kind of some gaps out there where I'm seeing some some dandelions, some hairy bittercress, things like that. Uh-huh. Is, is it something uh, like a herbicide with... With 2,4-D, or, or am I too late? They're already out. Just let them be and let them die off. Now, what, what grass species do you have, Jordan? Uh, it's Bermuda. It's Bermuda. When did you do the pre-emergence herbicide? Uh, the pre-emergent was probably four weeks ago. Okay. One, those weeds were probably up. And then two, most of our pre-emergence herbicides aren't particularly effective on broadleaf weeds. Uh, they, they work much better on grassy weeds. So things like crabgrass, to a degree, goosegrass, annual bluegrass, Things like that. Uh, they have a little bit of activity on broadleafs, but not real good. But the ones that you had there were were probably up four weeks ago, uh, and pre-emergence aren't going to work. So, well, like dandelions you, don't come back from seed. So a pre-emergence herbicide knocks back weed seeds as they germinate. Very good. Dandelions have a long taproot, and they're they just, they are true perennials. Yeah. So on those, so they were probably there. But some of these others that he had there, the pre-emergence weren't going to work on them. Uh, Bermuda grass, if you want to come out with something that contains 2,4-D, uh, right now would be would be fine for those. The other would be is if you want to drop your mower down, say, just a notch, and then just start putting some mowing pressure on those weeds, they will check out here in the next, say, three to four weeks as we start to warm up. Yay, we get rid of the winter weeds only to trade them for the summer weeds. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Weeds are opportunistic <laughs> plants. No, but yeah, very good, Jordan. Using a, a product, like you said, that contains 2,4-D is labeled as a broadleaf herbicide. Read the label directions, use it smartly, but that's absolutely a way to get after the weeds you're already seeing in the lawn Pre-emergence had no impact on those. Thanks for the call. 404-872-0750. We'll talk to you in hour number three. And Clint sticks around on 95.5 WSB.